0: Let us turn now and read the scripture passage that we have for laid out for ourselves today. It's Colossians 2. We'll be looking at 9 and 10 specifically, but I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 for a little bit of context. We preached on this last week. So beginning to read with verse 6 of the second chapter of Colossians. Um, Hear now the word of the Lord. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. And not according to Christ, for in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding this morning. Now I've given you an outline in the in the uh, in the bulletin. Um, six-point outline of how God, just some examples of how God manifested himself in the person of Christ. As we study this scripture today, we we see that it is a a great scripture that points to the, the depth of the personality of our Lord Jesus Christ, the depth of his nature. So it's a passage that, it's a very short passage, and yet it has almost limitless dimensions to it in terms of what it means and of what we can meditate upon and think about. It definitely points all of our attention to Jesus, and then the point is, it teaches that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and then it says, and you are complete in him. So if we are in him, if we have faith in him, we are complete in him, we can study that out a little bit, And then it mentions again who is the head of all principality and power. Paul has been been emphasizing how our Lord Jesus Christ, as he came into the world, became the preeminent person in all of world history. Far more important than any scientist, any political leader, any great general like Alexander the Great or any of the emperors of Rome. Jesus has a preeminence which is inexhaustible in our appreciation and in its application for both us today and indeed for all of world history. And the whole books have been written about how our Lord Jesus is preeminent in this way. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. So the reason that he wants us, the reason Paul wants us to meditate upon this is so that we might be complete. We are very needy, frail creatures. When life, life's pressures press upon us, but we can feel like we hardly know who we are. We, we, can, we can feel like we hardly know where to go. We can say, oh, Lord, what will befall me? What will happen to me? Sometimes in old age, sometimes in young age. I'm sure that uh, John and uh, uh, Audrey felt this to some degree this past week when they're ready to have their baby and they get COVID. Oh, Lord, what will become of us? Will you protect us? Will you be our God through all of this? So we have these immense situations that insinuate themselves or fall upon us in this world. And if we are to have a rock, if God is to be our rock, then we must know uh, the depth of it through Jesus Christ. Because all through the Old Testament, When the people of God were going through things like this God pointed to the great Messiah the great anointed one who was to come the great anointed prophet the great anointed priest the great anointed king after David one who would walk after David's example and be greater than David the Bible says so throughout the Old Testament the Lord pointed to this coming Jesus And then when he has come, can we do less than applaud him and to center our thought upon him and see how magnificent he was? If we do this, if we properly appreciate the person of Jesus Christ, then we have a a place to rest ourselves and our anxieties, our fears over sin, our fears over judgment, our fears over inadequacy. The fact that we realize that all flesh is as grass. I've been a man my whole life. I've learned how to be a man. My father taught me how to be a man. Uh, As a boy, I wanted to be a leader like my father was, leader of my family, then perhaps a leader in business or somewhere else. It turned out to be a leader in the church. Uh, I I aspired under that idea. But all of these, all of these ideas of of uh, value and leadership, they all come from the living God, and so we can only be as human beings. We can only be as stable and as um, as confident as we are if we know about the Lord. And if we don't know about the Lord, if we don't follow the Lord, then we are very weak. Creatures, indeed, they're just pitiful. Whatever we, whatever we do and say, is like being puffed up. And you know, when things that are puffed up, when things are inflated like balloons, it's an abnormal phenomenon in this world. All inflated things wait to be popped, (laughs) and that's indeed what happens. Uh, with the people of this world, a couple of weeks ago, I gave the statistic that there are almost fifty thousand suicides a year, and of that number, eighty percent, forty percent, or or I mean, uh, I mean, um, sorry, uh, forty of the eighty, forty of the fifty people that commit suicide are men. So. Men like to pretend that they are self-contained, that they don't need anybody else, that their strength is sufficient. We see people that go to the gym and pump themselves up. And then in the midst of all of their muscle, they have a heart attack on a day that they did not foresee. We all need the Lord. So if we study out the, the attributes of God, especially as they are found in Jesus Christ, then, when Jesus says, "I am here for you," come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. Then we can see here is somebody that we can really rest our lives upon. And so, let us look at um, at six of these ways that, that where Jesus manifested the deity that is the, his divine nature. Uh, in, and indeed, the Scripture here says, "The fullness of the Godhead, the fullness of the Godhead." Uh, bodily. Well, um, first we see in terms of our outline that God manifested his deity in Jesus even at Jesus' weakest point of his birth. In terms of his being born into the world and being a baby. Now you say, how in the world can the divine presence manifest himself in the life of a baby who was so weak, we've got some new babies in the church here. How can how can God manifest the fullness of His deity, the fullness of the Godhead, uh, bodily in a human being? Well, we know first of all that God does not mean that the the, that the deity is manifested in its fullness in terms of our bodies, our physical bodies. So there's there's a there's, there's one qualification here. He, he, in, uh, he says, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead uh, bodily, <clears throat> meaning that uh, it's the fullness of the Godhead in, in a human body, but that does not mean that the body itself is, is divine. Oh, wow. We can never make that confusion, that we must always separate between the divine God and what he has made, the creation, and the flesh as one of the things that he has made. But, in spite of that caveat, or in spite of that uh, qualification, Jesus, in his body, uh, manifested the fullness of the deity. And that is, that's a, uh, it's almost an apparent contradiction. Um, you know, we, we really wonder, what, you know, how does he do that? Well, the first thing I'm going to point to here is the, the birth of Jesus. Now, in the birth of Jesus, we see that even though Jesus was a baby and even though Jesus was very weak in the flesh, that there was amazing strength being manifested in his birth. If you look at the birth narratives of the Gospels, the first one is Matthew, and it's found in Matthew 1, and it starts the genealogy of Jesus near the Earlier on in Abraham, and um, it says Abraham begot Isaac, and then it goes on for 12 generations. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot uh, uh, Jacob, Jacob begot Judah. And so there are 12 12 generations of names there. Then there's another head on David in verse uh, verse see that verse 7 no it's verse 6 and a half Uh, David is the the head of the second group of 12 David the king begot Solomon um, by her who had been the wife of Uriah and so it's 12 more generations and then it says after that they were brought to Babylon and Jeconiah begot uh, Shealtiel the Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. So there's another 12, and then, then it says, uh, until, uh, until, from the captivity of Babylon until Christ, are 14 uh, generations. And so, uh, Jesus is, uh, is said to be the, the crowning uh, head of this genealogical chart. So even when he was a baby, Uh, He was born at a particular time. Uh, The Gospel of Luke has it a little bit differently. They start backwards. They start with Jesus, and then they go backwards to Adam. And in this case, there are 77 um, generations until Jesus. So the one is uh, 14, 14, and 14, and then Jesus is the sabbatical, the seventh of these these, uh, generations. The seventh seventh of these groupings so that Jesus, uh, all of his children will make up the sabbatical generation of his people and uh, and then like I said in Luke it goes from Jesus back to Adam, he's the 77th uh, person who was born in this line and so it means that and, and also Paul says that Jesus came in the fullness of time so he was born a baby, he was, uh, he was impotent in the flesh but in terms of his coming, he was, uh, he was the uh, thriving Lord of time. And, and God worked it out. The, the, the God had worked it out that Jesus would be born at a particular time, at a particular generation, so that symbolically, symbolically he could be portrayed as the great Lord of all things. And we know that our uh, the calendar, the Christian calendar was completely changed, or the calendar of the West of the Roman Empire was completely changed, uh, <clears throat> based upon the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, he was just a baby, but uh, he was magnificent in his in his birth. And we know that the wise men came from afar, and the shepherds they came because they saw in this baby. An amazing presence that could not be contained. So in his birth, he manifests extraordinary conditions. And so the title of the sermon is uh, Jesus Extraordinarius, uh, Extraordinus. Uh, the, the, the one who is a- amazing and indeed is the fullness of the Godhead, as it says in Colossians chapter 2. We think of the early ministry of Jesus. How the synagogues had been going on for generations. There were synagogues in Babylon. There were synagogues in Old Israel, where the people would gather for worship weekly, when they weren't going to the temple. The, the great feast days of the Lord. And so, when Jesus' earthly ministry began, he had no uh, he had no training. He, he didn't go to seminary or anything like that. There, there was no. Um, um, there was no extraordinary uh, theological training or preparation. But at a certain time, Jesus began his earthly ministry. And as he begins that ministry, he begins full tilt. We, we see no sequence of Jesus. We can't, we can't point to the, the development of Jesus' teaching in the sense that well, Jesus didn't know something at the beginning that he knew at the end. No, he he comes on the field. His ministry begins full force, and as he goes into these early synagogues, what happens? But the devils that were demon possessed people that were in these synagogues, and they would cry out for Jesus to leave them alone. They would say, "What would you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth?" Because they sense the fullness of the Godhead in Him bodily it was unique it was powerful his early miracles in his early ministry the changing of the wine at Cana the healing of people adding limbs that they did not have before raising up the cripple uh, so that they could walk and it was no problem it was not like the healings today of the modern miracle workers who work up a kind of atmosphere around the hope for healing. And then with incantations and excitement, they they declare these people healed. But you really can't see that a leg was grown or that somebody who was crippled from birth was raised up. But this is what Jesus did. He was manifesting the power of the divine God in this world in a way that was anti-scientific, that went against the ordinary rule of things, the ordinary rule of things in this world. Because the fullness of the deity dwelt in him bodily. The third thing I put here is Jesus, God manifest in Jesus a goodness. We see in Jesus, while we have many debates today about how good we should be or how active we should be, what we should say in order to be good, we see in Jesus a meticulous keeping of the law, and then we see in Jesus, even when he was 12 years old, he appeared at the temple, and he was teaching the rabbis there from the word of God As, as as a child, Yet he had insights that were the scriptures to Jesus were transparent. He was fully man, but he was fully God, and it was just amazing to see. And they were amazed at him. And in terms of his in terms of his ethics, we see a hatred of evil. He knew what was right and wrong. He knew ethics, and his his, his heart blazed a flame at the evil that he saw in his day both at the beginning of his ministry and toward the end of his ministry. There was a cleansing of the temple where we see the goodness of Christ. And some people today might like to criticize him for being overly stern. But the religious enterprise of that day was deaf and blind. It it was not promoting the gospel according to Moses and certainly according to Christ. It was not promoting this idea that our lives were owed to God because they were sinful, that we needed something to die for us. We needed to die ourselves. And if not us, we needed uh, an an expiation for ourselves, a a substitution for ourselves. They were not teaching these things. And so Jesus came into the temple and he saw the leaders of Israel, the people who, who should have been the sharpest, who should have been the the, the the shepherds who were helping their people to find the Lord he found them buying and selling more and more uh, more uh, more concerned about the money that they made for themselves and for the enterprise for the bureaucracy than they were about real about real human life and so he flew into a rage but it was not a rage based upon misunderstanding, it was not a rage based upon selfishness it was not a rage based upon excessive anger it was a rage that was entirely righteous which was even more terrifying to the people in the temple at that time because they understood God brought them to understand the righteousness of this one who has uh, reached a point of anger And then we see Jesus, in terms of his goodness, we see, you know, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. We see the goodness of Christ in the entire love that he had for the Father. I've mentioned this before, but uh, true, true faith and true worship and true ethics has to do with the love of God. And our Lord Jesus Christ, there was not a moment of His life, there was not a breath that He breathed, that was not full of the love of, of the love for uh, the Father above in heaven. He loved God the Father with all the love that you could love. Uh, there was never a moment when it flagged. There was never a moment when it parted. There was never a moment when His ardor slipped away. And at the end of his life, you think of the prayer, he would go into prayer, he'd come back, and his disciples were sleepy or weary. And Jesus would exhort them that the day was at hand, that they must they must see that the mission of God uh, needed to be done. Give yourselves to prayer he had, there was not a moment where he, he, he has, his ardor flagged from that great mission that he had, so the, the love the divine love of God was always there, burning brightly in the life of Jesus, was this not was this not what arrested the disciples as Jesus spoke with them, the fishermen at the Sea of Galilee later on, after he was gone they said, when he spoke to us did our hearts not burn within us There's a power to goodness. It makes us feel puny by comparison. And we know that we should be that way, but we're not. But when Jesus was there, their hearts burned within them because they saw the beauty of goodness in the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) And and there was a power to that. Uh, We can mention the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Dealing with the Samaritan woman, um, dealing with Judas, Matthew twenty-three and twenty-four, where he's talking about the future, the divine mind, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus bodily. When we can think, we can think of the holiness of God dwelling with Jesus. Those passages in the Scripture where Jesus was went to the temple. <clears throat> And uh, he was virtually arrested by a mob. But then the scriptures say Jesus walked through them and walked away. How did he do that? He manifested the fullness of the Godhead, the holiness of God, and they shrunk back as he walked through them. They could not lay, they could not lay hands upon him, almost as Isaiah when he was confronted by the Lord, and he fell down before the Lord on the ground and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of heaven. There was no, there was no, this was no time uh, for Isaiah to have a discussion with God about theological questions he had or challenges that he might have had with the Lord like Job. This was simply a time to fall down upon your face, to back up. To realize that the shadow of the living God had passed before you. And flesh was not able to deal with the greatness of God. The fullness of the deity dwelt in him bodily. Even the world, the oceans and the storms that were created by God, by the hand of, by the voice of the Lord, by the hand of God. These things could not stand up to Jesus. He could walk upon the water. He could separate the water. He could do with nature whatever he wanted because the fullness of the deity dwelt in him bodily. Lastly, I mentioned the love of the elect. The love of the elect. God. One of God's attributes is God's love. It's what we call a communicable attribute because he also gave us that attribute, although not in the divine sense. We're not as powerful as God with our love. Our love is not omnipotent, uh, omniscient, all of these other attributes as they blend into love. But it's still a love, and it's a lovely thing, that God, a beautiful thing that God gives us when we are able to love one another. Well, God had this love for the elect, for his people, for those for whom he had chosen to be his children for all eternity. And when Jesus came, he said he came to give his life for the sheep. Not not for the goats, but for the sheep. When he came, he could not be distracted from this course, this love course, driven by love he could not be distracted from it he could not take it be taken off its focus and so they drove him to the cross he took all of his righteousness and as it were set it aside so that he could be yoked with the sins of the world so that he could be assigned them by the men that were there and even allowed to be assigned that by his heavenly father and he went and he took that sentence he, he said, uh, uh, he spoke of this as a, even a separation from God, speaking uh, from um, uh, Psalm 22 in, uh, in, a, um, in a mournful way, about being separated from God because he had taken upon himself the sins of the elect so that he could pay the penalty for those, so that there was no way that his people would be assigned that sin in the day of judgment. And he could not, he would not allow himself to be separate from it. He said, Thy will, thy will, not mine be done. So he was uh, loving of the Father. He was exceeding to the Father's wishes and desires. And he went and he saved us from our sin completely. So that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul wrote, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are complete in him. God will not call you to have any more anything else in the day of judgment than he's already given you in Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And if we have faith in him, then we are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In the end, <clears throat> Jesus is the, the great head of all things. Uh, in this world, he is the, the end of tyranny. If you study it out, in the beginning of order, wisdom, and building. Psalm 127 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. And if you put your life, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are allowing the Lord to build your house in this world. And uh, the storms may come, but you will not be a, 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 a tower or a house built upon the sand that will be washed away. You will be founded upon a rock. You will find stability for your life. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that the magnificence of Christ, that we might appreciate the magnificence of Jesus Christ. We pray that he might be our rock, that our house might be built upon him, that we might seek no other, that we might be glad that we can feel the strength of the rock beneath us that we might know that we will never be moved as long as we are anchored to that rock. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.